I've preached here before, but for those of you who weren't here then, which sometimes happens, I'm Dave Upchurch. I'm a uh, member of Heartland Presbytery PCA, which is a presbytery that we're all part of. Um, I'm retired. I'm retired from teaching middle school. I'm retired from the Army chaplaincy. I'm retired from the staff at Grace EPC Church in Lawrence. Um, I guess that's it. I'm, I'm retired from all those things, but I'm just delighted to be here with you all as we look together at the Word of God uh, and see what the Lord has for us uh, as we seek His face. So turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 1. A familiar story, yet the more you get into it, the more profound it is, I've discovered. Exodus chapter 1, and I'll begin reading the Word of God at verse 6. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses, but the more they were repressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the people of the Lord will stand forever. Let us pray. Our God, we, we come to your word 
asking you to give us hearts to receive it and to learn from you and to give you the glory and to give us courage in this life that you've called each of us to live for you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Since 1999, a man named Peter Singer has been a professor of ethics at Princeton University, Ivy League school. This professor of ethics gave an interview to the New Yorker magazine last summer. And he said this, Parents of children born with serious disabilities ought to have the option of ending the life of their child immediately after birth or as soon as the diagnosis has been properly established. Now, it's not true to say that I support euthanasia for disabled infants. It is not true that I think that disabled infants ought to be killed. I think the parents ought to have that option. As, as evil and as horrifying as that New Yorker interview was, and I know that that's an extreme example of thinking in our world, but Peter Singer was at least being honest from his presuppositions about human life. This wicked professor advocates killing babies if the circumstances are right. Now, Moses in, in Exodus 1 talked about that same view of human life, only it was Pharaoh's view of human life rather than, uh, than anyone else's at this point. So we see, in other words, 3,000 years ago, the same view of human life. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Because we want to see the first, the source of the evil. How, that, how Pharaoh could come to that point that he condemned these babies to death. Second, the source of the midwives' courage as they faced Pharaoh in his view. And then thirdly, we want to see that, that all of Scripture supports what the midwives did. So first then, the source of Pharaoh's evil actions. How could this man come to this point? In ancient Egypt, the king's religion determined his view of human life. And the king's religion was that the king is some kind of demigod some kind of, of divinity himself. And so, of course, he's got all the power and can do whatever he pleases. And above all, it's Pharaoh's interests that determine what he does, his self-interest as this God. At verse 9, Moses says, and, he's, and Pharaoh said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. We've got to do something about that, in other words. There's the source beginning 
uh, of the source of it all. That this strange religion of these Hebrew people with their one God and all were a significant threat to Pharaoh's power and wealth. So Pharaoh saw himself as justified in reducing the number of the chosen people of God. And as he did so, he, re- he did it by reducing them to tools. They were merely tools to serve the interests of Pharaoh. Tools to maintain his own security. Tools for his convenience to use as he chose. So as Moses tells us, Pharaoh ruthlessly and shrewdly used them in hopes of keeping them weak and unable to rebel or ally themselves with his enemies. Pitiless, cruel, shrewd, ruthless, because they were just tools. And it didn't just stop with Pharaoh, obviously, because it it went on to his taskmasters who ruled over on a day-to-day basis these the people of God. And even as they abused them, though, they found that God continued to bless them and continued to increase their numbers. So we've got to do something about that, so we'll just, we'll just kill them when they're born. That, that's a simple solution, isn't it? First, he decided to kill the sons at birth, and when that didn't work, well, every male child should be thrown into the Nile. In other words, what we're seeing in Pharaoh's approach is that evil thrives. Evil thrives and grows when people are reduced to things, reduced to being tools in the hands of other people. Pretty straightforward, but we keep forgetting that and we have to remind ourselves there's something else going on here. Something that the midwives knew And the midwives understood that we need to remind ourselves of. Peter Singer's view in the New Yorker magazine represents a tendency and a trend. It's a secular, materialistic religion where children are born for the use, benefit, and convenience of parents. Parents, therefore, assume Pharaoh-like abilities to decide the fate of their children, according to Singer. Because after all, children are simply a biological result of conception and therefore to be used as the parents choose. And a child's disabilities are terribly inconvenient. Such a burden Singer's logic begins with the premise that human beings are simply chemicals, biology, and the product of biological activity. Unlike the midwives, as Paul puts it in Romans 3, there's no fear of God in their eyes. But the midwives knew far better than Peter Singer and his ilk. So let's look at the midwives' courage then. Verse 17 of chapter 1. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king commanded them, 
but let the male children live. Now, remember that the midwives didn't have the scripture. Moses had not yet written the first five books of of the Bible. They had no revelation like the plagues and and the pillar of fire. No knowledge of God meeting with Moses on the mountain. So we have to speculate a bit about exactly what they did know about God. But we know that they knew that these were the chosen people of God. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That had been repeated through the generations to these people. And so they knew that something was going on with God in the lives of his chosen people. And he knew that God was multiplying in the midst of this horror of Pharaoh's rule over them. They knew that they knew God because they knew this human life that was all around them. As they helped women give birth, they knew for certain that this was God's gift. Precious, God-given life. And they didn't need to know the words of Moses later on to know that that was true. God in his grace had shown them this. That it was precious life that was astounding and even miraculous as they held these children in their hands after birth. Can you imagine as they're helping these women and they hold that baby in their arms. See they knew, they knew where that came from. That it was God who had done it. Just like the mothers were willing to endure the pain because they knew that God had given them something as they gave birth. The midwives would pause and say, look, look what I'm holding in my hands. And they also knew that because of, these were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew that that it would have been even worse to kill these boys because these were God's chosen people. In other words, as one commentator put it, their reverence for life sprang from their reverence for God. They knew that it would be gross impiety to destroy God's people. Gross impiety, Calvin's words there. Gross impiety to destroy God's people. So they feared God and they loved his people, and they had no choice. That's where their courage came from. They had it figured out that the fear of the king, this terrible king who had the power of life and death in his very hands, had their lives, the midwives' lives, in their hands as well. Yet because of their fear of God and their knowledge of God's working, They trusted him to disobey Pharaoh. And God honored that in their lives. When the fear of God rules in the heart, it will preserve us from the snare which the inordinate fear of man brings. That was Matthew Henry. The inordinate fear of man is overcome by our fear of God.
That's how courageous these women were. That's where it comes from. We can learn a great deal now from this, just this stark contrast between Pharaoh and the midwives. God, in, in this narrative that Moses wrote down, we go, oh yeah, now I'm, I'm getting it. But don't forget that we have a whole, a lot more understanding because we have the rest of the Bible. So much more of a foundation for our relationship to one another and to those outside the fellowship of Christ church. Especially in our day, we need to remind ourselves of this because Pharaoh's views of human beings are more and more prevailing in our society, in our world, in our culture. You know, Peter Singer is something of an outlier, and I want to emphasize that, but his way of thinking is dominating more and more and more. So, let's look briefly at God's word in a couple of places that we might fortify ourselves in our day. Because first of all, we learn from the rest of scripture that human beings are God's special creation. The only creature, we've got to emphasize that, the only creature created in God's image and given dominion over the creation that God gave to his people. To people. We do not share our fundamental nature with anything else in creation. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. That's who we are. Bottom line. Psalm 8. Verse 3. The psalmist says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See the connection? The majesty of God, his creation, who we are, the fear of God, the understanding and the reverence and the worship, the humility that the psalmist brings to his experience and his observations about God's good work in the lives of human beings and in the, lives of, and in the work of creation in all that's around us. And then in Luke 1, John the Baptist, Luke 1. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she examined with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Conception, baby in womb, created in God's image, wonderfully anticipating the Savior. Who are we that God has us in mind? Wow, it's beyond us, but the ultimate expression of the love of God for us created in his image is there on that cross. He came from all eternity that we would have a right relationship with him. Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's who we are. This one who came for us. This one to whom we flee for forgiveness because we know that we have failed him so often. Yet he came for us. All of God's creation demands our high regard. The highest regard is reserved for the people whom God created in his image, the human race. All human life is sacred in God's hands. God created us for his purposes from conception through death. Created for a righteous, holy relationship with the creator. Created to honor and glorify him. Now, as we look around us in our world, our world, in effect whether they've thought it through or not, in effect, they deny all of that, all that I've just said. They stand against, therefore, the people of God, and they stand against God's revelation. I mean, when we look at Scripture and we think about these things, well, that makes sense. That's, that's the way we should treat one another. That's the, the, the sacred life that God has given. But Singer represents, Peter Singer, that so-called ethicist, represents the direction of our world's thought. And we've got to remind ourselves of that too. Thoughtlessly and frequently our world relates to human beings in a materialistic and mechanistic, machine-like manner. For example, Think how many times you see human beings reduced to mere pleasure seekers. One of my favorite targets in life is credit card companies. Have you seen the ads? I'm a sports guy. I see the ads on sports of these guys selling credit cards. What are they doing? They're promising. They're lying to people. It's Satan's lie. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be happy. All you've got to do is spend the bank's money at 18.5% a year. Isn't that right? 
That's what they're promising when it comes right down to it. Human beings are pleasure seekers and we'll just satisfy the pleasures that we seek with this piece of plastic. That's not who we are, that's not why we're alive. Or another example, telephone companies promise connection, right? You're gonna be connected, magic word. I've got a friend of mine teaches in Virginia at Longwood University. He's taught um, uh, creative writing for many years there at Longwood. And we were talking recently and he said, yeah, he says, used to be, I'd walk, be walking across campus and I'd see my students and they'd see me, hey, how are you? How you doing? What's going on? And they would talk and interact. He says, not anymore. Because <laughs> my students are walking across campus like this with their telephones. See, you know, I check out stuff all the time on my phone, but it, isn't that, it, it, when it comes right down to it, prevents the relationships that God would have for us. And it can in so many ways. And what about at the end of life? At the end of life. How many television shows or movies have you seen recently in which the real hero of the plot, or one of the heroes of the plot, was the person who ended the life of someone who was suffering? or contributed to that person's death because after all, they would have wanted that, it that way. That's, our, our days are, are numbered and counted by God. Try telling the Hebrew midwives that it's a good thing to prematurely, before God's good hand, take someone to be with him regardless of their suffering. In other words, we see the tendency to reduce human beings to just another part of the material world, to tools to be used for the sake of others. As a result, human beings are elevated to the position of Pharaoh, to become, in a sense, Pharaoh-like gods in the lives of other people whether they be newborn babies, whether they be babies in the womb, whether they be people at the end of life, whether they be mere pleasure seekers in need of connection. That's, you know, it's discouraging when we look around and we start to spot little parts of our world that do this. Especially discouraging when I catch myself doing it. So we've, we must come back again and again to the scripture because our world is not going to support the view of the scripture in our lives. We must return again and again if we are to have the courage to stand again, like the midwives against an increasingly anti-human, mechanistic, materialistic society. A world that has abandoned a fear of God and a clear understanding of his word. Our Lord Jesus anticipated this, as he tends to do. Anticipated the situation we find ourselves in, in our day. 
as he prayed and as he spoke to his disciples in those last hours of his life before the cross. In John 16, he made a promise to the, to the disciples there. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, one of my junior high students would have said, well, duh, yeah. In this world, you will have trouble. But what's the rest of it? But be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Be of good courage. Just like those midwives. I have overcome the world. Praise God that he came for us. If you don't know this Savior, you come to him. If you don't know this one who came from all eternity to suffer on that cross that you might have life for all eternity, come trusting him. And come now. Don't delay. This is the God who says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He keeps his promises. Here's another quotation. Parents do have the option to kill their disabled babies right now. In every country that allows abortion, when a prenatal diagnosis has shown that there is a disability. Now, I don't draw a big distinction between abortion and infanticide. Those who think it's okay for women to have an abortion need to show why there's such an important difference between the fetus before birth and the newborn baby, the newborn infant after birth. Well, that was Peter Singer again in that same interview. He's simply following the logic of his own position. And we pro-lifers have been saying that for decades now. There's no difference between that baby whom God gave in that womb and that baby after birth. We, that's a sacred life that God has given moment to moment, day by day. My days have been counted by you, Psalm 139 says. All of them are the days that you've given me right from the womb. See, Elizabeth knew that. John the Baptist knew that. We know that. And a baby in the womb is created in the image of God. The person at the end of life is created in the image of God. The rest of us are created in the image of God. God is so good. So good to us. Now, August the 2nd of this year in Kansas is significant. There's going to be a vote on a very important amendment to the Kansas State Constitution regarding abortion in our state. And I'll say no more about that except that. But if you vote, as you enter the polling place, let me urge you to have the courage of the midwives and bring them with you. Let's pray.
Our God, we do thank you for your great goodness to us, for the marvel of the life that you have given us, for the wonder that you came from eternity that we might have life. Please help us because of that to love you more, to serve you wisely and well in this evil age. We ask you to give us courage that you will have all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.